This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, time for another edition of Thursday Coast with the founder of Daily Coast, the largest online progressive community. You ought to check it out if you've not already. Become active. A great source of news and information and news you can actually do something about. And then, of course, the host of the ever popular podcast, The Brief, and the founder of Civics with a Q, Marcos Melitzis, joins us once again. Hey, buddy. Happy Thursday. Thanks, Mark, as always, for having me. And I hope everything's going well with you. Yeah, everything's fine. Actually, uh, so let me let the audience know as well. I'm, we're joining everyone today from Jacksonville, where we will be making a big announcement with clergy and community in just a few hours, calling for healing and resistance and accountability since the hate crimes that occurred on August 26th. A young man tried to get on the campus of an HBCU to shoot some African-American students. It didn't work, so he went to Dollar General, killed three individuals, and I'll be attending. The world is so small. That's what we always say. I don't think there's anybody left who is not impacted by gun violence directly or just once removed. If we don't know someone, we know someone who knows someone. And it actually is the case that someone who was once a caregiver, Marcos and everyone, for a member of my extended family in Nashville who passed away, this caregiver's caregiver's grandson was one of the victims of this shooting, a young man. And so he will be memorialized on Friday here in Jacksonville. I'll stay for that. And and clergy coming together. And, you know, it's just kind of like we're September the 16th will be the 60th anniversary of the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in Birmingham. Four little girls. We all know that famous story in that tragedy. Dr. King, when he eulogized the four little girls, he talked about everything that happened before the bombing that foretold their deaths, the atmosphere, the climate had been created. And so we have the same thing with DeSantis in Florida, the atmosphere which caused these deaths have been created. So we're all down here mobilizing and organizing and healing and really trying to address that so this isn't swept under the rug and so the DeSantis the the assault on on history the assault on workers the assault on LGBT when you people when they do those types of things y'all then they act like oh well this is just some random situation no you embolden people who want to commit hate crimes to carry out that type of behavior just like you embolden people to go and try to tear up the Capitol on January 6th when you run your mouth you put that out there. People follow that. And so another three tragic deaths. And, and so I'm saying all that to say that I didn't know this young man, but I knew his grandmother. I know his grandmother. So if you really think about it, none of us is immune to this. And it's just another day in life of America. I was talking to a friend late last night and she said, well, I'm in Jacksonville because of the, the hate crime killing. And she had to stop 
wait a minute, which one is this? Because it's something every day. Where's a yep. shooting or a gun is that it's like you, you might have missed something. I'm saying, you know, while we're on the phone, might be something happening right now we haven't even heard about yet. Oh, I'll try good. Yeah. So every minute, every, every, every day. So that's, I don't mean to give a whole thing, but that's where, that's where I am right now. Mm-hmm. And, and just kind of, you know, dealing with that and in the midst of. So, and we also, what, have we also heard in the past 24 hours or 48 hours that Enrico Terrio, has been sentenced to 22 years in prison. The Proud Boys, I mean, these are some pretty stiff sentences that people are getting, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And then we just had the Georgia case. It's gonna be great because this was televised. We all watched it, the hearing was televised. Go back and watch the replay. Chesborough, Sidney Powell, and John Eastman, the, the judge does not seem inclined, or at least he said he would not sever in the powell Chesborough case, which means he probably won't sever Eastman. Now, it's mm-hmm. still unclear whether they will have a separate trial dates, whether defendants will be split up into several different trial dates, but folks, he's not allowing people to sever their cases. Do you know why it's important? It, well, it's, it's, it's my understanding that that strengthens the RICO case because everybody's together. And so, yeah, so the, the whole key to RICO cases is that it's the conspiracy, that everybody sort of right. did their part in furtherance of a crime. The individual elements don't actually have to be criminal. So, for example, posting on, on Twitter, Trump won, that individually is not illegal. But if it's part of a broader illegal campaign, in this case, to steal the election, then yes, it is part of that conspiracy, right? So by severing, you don't longer you don't get those you don't get the full story. I mean, you get these little bits and pieces, and maybe somebody's like their their public role was simply to publicly push the conspiracy, which again, First Amendment, that's not a crime. In furtherance of that broader conspiracy, it is a crime. So by severing, not only do you do you make it harder to punish the individuals, but it actually makes it harder to even get to Trump. Because Trump, like all, I mean, Rico was made for mob, mob bosses who are very good at keeping their fingers away from, they're not doing the murdering. They're not, they're not putting anything down in writing, right? They got underlings to do all the work for them. They can actually pretend to be law-abiding citizens. And that's what makes it so hard to actually get to the mob bosses. Rico was specifically designed to bring them down. So Trump, we all know famously, does not write emails, does not want anybody taking notes in meetings when they're talking to him. And so he's very good at doing the mob boss thing about not putting his actual fingers on any criminal acts. The RICO case basically allows the state to punish Trump for the actions that he generated, even if he himself did not do an illegal act specifically. That's why keeping the case together is very, very important. No, you're right about that. So, so that's good news coming from this judge. Again, it's unclear whether they'll have separate trials, but folks ain't getting severed. Uh, separate trial days, but folks are not getting severed. So that's a good thing. And, and by the way, this is kind of Fonnie Willis's forte, for those of you who don't know, because she successfully prosecuted a RICO case during the, uh, the Atlanta school system's t- test-taking, standardized <laughs> test-taking scandal. There was a whole scandal around that. And she she took care of that and and that was handled. So, you know, she's she's a Rico 
prosecutor. That's that's her that's her thing. Yeah, I read that she's got either eleven or twelve current RICO cases yeah. in progress. Yeah. So, and and again, RICO has a five-year minimum sentence, which it's not like you can get court supervision. So Trump may actually face trial, and the five-year minimum sentence is actually again it's designed to flip the underlings in order to get to the top guy, right? So if you have a five-year minimum sentence, you can't plead your way to you know, supervision or some, some lower sentence. There's a lot more incentive if you're at the bottom of the totem pole to say like, yeah, screw it, I'm not doing jail time. I'm flipping, I'm turning the state's witness. So I suspect the 18 or 19 defendants right now that are all still all together, that a bunch of them, once these early maneuverings you know, end, like they can't sever their cases, that a lot, a lot of them are going to start flipping and making deals in order to avoid trial. And it's all going to be at Trump's and Giuliani's expense. It, it, but speaking of Trump, though, a, a friend of mine, a former classmate of mine, as a matter of fact, wrote in a New Yorker, Jelani Cobb, who also happens to be the dean of the Columbia School of, of Journalism. He wrote something about there's this, as much as there was the creation of the phrase during the Great Recession, too big to fail, there seems to be a contemporary corollary, he writes, Marcos, entitled, Too Big to Convict. Mm -hmm. And there's just this history going back to the Civil War. He chronicles it from the Civil War to Gerald Ford pardoning Nixon mm -hmm. and unwillingness to hold some of our elected officials like Trump in this case accountable. Yep. Well, you know, it's actually, when you think about it, it's kind of not even a big deal. It's kind of matter of fact in other countries around the world, even big European countries, presidents, prime ministers, they get busted all the time and it's, it's just handled. I mean, it's not like, oh, no, we can't. This will be a, a threat to democracy and it'll affect. I mean, it's, it's just like it's handled. But what is it about mm -hmm. here? <laughs> that yeah and, and it's not even it's not even i mean it's one thing if we're talking about you know hunter biden petty crimes right whatever he had an unregistered gun who gives a crap like you know slap something you know appropriate you know whatever somebody would get i mean we're talking about donald trump who has just <laughs> he tormented revolution i mean oh we can't divide the country he literally tried to divide the you know literally tried to divide the country by disenfranchising half of it and all the country by throwing out our democracy. So what is this like, oh, we can't divide people thinking, which is why it's so great that Fannie Willis is, is leading this case and doesn't seem to be particularly inclined. And Mark, I got just from a, from a stark political standpoint, there's a, lot of, there's a lot to gain politically by bringing down Trump. So in a lot of those cases, I mean, Gerald Ford had nothing to gain by not pardoning Nixon, right? I mean, the same party, he was his vice president. I think it cost him the election four years, you know, two years later. But it wasn't like today where Fannie Willis, she puts Trump in jail. She's a national hero. There'll be statues put up in her name. She's going to be running for Senate or governor or whatever, right? Like she's going to be a national hero. Same thing happening in uh, New York City, right? With with Letitia James, yeah. Letitia James, right? James, 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 right, right, right. Yeah, Letitia James, and the same thing. It's you know, you 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 bring down the Trump crime syndicate. Like, there's a lot of political payoffs. So it's a little different than in the past, where it was frowned upon to have these big, powerful people be indicted for their crimes. I mean, now it's there's there's a lot to be gained 
And the country can't be any more divided. So you can't be like, oh, we don't want to divide America. America's divided. It is, there are people that think a Jewish space laser blew up Maui. I mean, they literally think this. I mean, we can't reason with stupid people, ignorant people, conspiratorial people. So at this point, what's left is to do the right thing. And there are people that will, re will reward these women for doing the right thing. And that's so the incentives are different than in the past. And so that actually is a good thing for us now. Yeah. So, so th th this will be, and hopefully there will be the will to go through with this. And that, and hopefully people, really, to be honest with you, part of the reason we're here now is because after the Civil War, there was no accountability. And yeah. then people were able to rehash it and resurrect the, and nostalgia or the ro romanticism of the Civil War it, as early as the 40s, not right away. But you had the Strom Thurmonds and, and they began, you know, we want the South to rise again. That's where that came from, because there was not any real accountability or real, for lack of a better word, demonization of the acts that the Confederacy took. It was just total, total amnesty. Yeah. And the political, the political incentives were geared towards building your own career as a white person, you know, by demonizing black people or, or immigrants or, you know, over the time trans kids, right? I mean, the incentive structure is what really drives a lot of that. And for too long, it was, it, it paid and it still does in certain parts of the country. It pays to be racist. Yeah, right. It, 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 it certainly does. It certainly does in, in this country, unfortunately. So we've got, there's some new polling out, some alarmed by it. A few folks hit me up with it yesterday. There's some skepticism. It, it, when, I, when, when I say this, folks, it's not really going to be anything that's going to surprise you. But Nate Cohen has written a piece in the New York Times, Nate Cohen, I'm sorry, entitled, headline, Consistent Signs of Erosion in Black and Hispanic Support for uh, Biden. And I guess this can be looked at two ways. It's, it, it could just serve as a timely wake-up call. This is, is, is an off year, so to speak, so people aren't that enthusiastic. But how real is it? Are black and Latino voters really, is there a threat that they won't vote for Biden or that they will stay home? Is it too early to tell? And how much is civics, how early is civics the civics get into that. I mean, we're, we're, we're tracking it. I haven't seen anything in the civics data that is particularly worrisome. I just, I, I just saw this for the first time. You sent it to me right before the show. And I literally just now looked at the fine print. And it's actually, I can't believe Nate Cohn wrote this, right? Because the data from, from the last three election cycles, so 12, 16, and 20, are based on Roper research. And then the 2024 numbers are based on New York Times Siena polling. You do not compare different polls to each other because they have different methodologies, different systems, different. And so right there, I'm completely blown away that, that and I haven't read the article, so maybe Nate explains why he did that. But that from a premise standpoint, it, it falls apart right there. Second thing I will say is that you see in his polling, you know, based on gender, age, education, income race, you see a drop off in support uh, for Joe Biden between, oh no, it's a Democratic share of the major party vote between 16 
and 20. And I just remind people that in 20, we got 8 million more votes than we did in 2016. Just because people may not be as excited does not actually mean much. And in fact, it's sort of vogue. And it always has been vogue to say, I hate the politicians. They're all crooked. I don't trust them. I don't. Just by virtue of winning public office, people are already like, yeah, I don't like that guy. And so seeing that drop off is actually not that particularly noteworthy, particularly when we have Donald Trump on the other side, who's really, don't, I mean, this could be a, you know, black support could be a 50% of the two, you know, for Democrats. And it don't matter because Donald Trump's on the other side and, and, and black voters know what's up. So the black vote was, was solid in 2020. Does that mean it's going to be solid in 2024? I don't think we take anything for granted, Mark. I mean, I think this is one of the challenges that the Democrats need to work on is that you don't go ask for those votes the weekend before the election, show up at a black church, you know, show up to a to a Latino neighborhood the weekend before an election and expect people to turn out. Right. So there, there has to be that that persistent presence and communication with those communities. Is that happening? I, I don't know. I don't I don't know what's going on inside the Biden campaign at this stage. If there's even much of a campaign, it's still pretty early. But I would not take it for granted. But I also wouldn't look at this because one, they're not comparing apples to apples. This is apples to oranges. And two, when people ask, are you excited to vote or not? It don't matter. Like, are you going to vote? That's that's the question. We don't care if you're excited or not. This is this is not American Idol where we, <laughs> you know, it's a popularity contest. No, it's not a popularity contest. It's a, oh, crap, Donald Trump. Is you know is an ex- existential threat to our democracy battle, and honestly, we could put up a we could put up a I don't know we could put up a giraffe, and I don't think it would matter because Donald Trump is that powerful of a vote getter for our side, so much so that we won the twenty twenty two election on on Donald Trump and abortion, and I keep saying Donald Trump and abortion are, are not just going to be issues next year; they're even more salient as issues. Than they were last year. And last year, inflation was out of control. Inflation is is now stopped. And so the Republican campaign, we know what the Republican campaign is going to be. They don't have anything substantive. We even saw that in the debate where they gave up on woke. They did not talk much about Hunter Biden. Like, the, you know, they, they know those issues do not play. So what are they going to talk about? They're going to be like, when Trump was president, gas was $2 a gallon. Like, no, it wasn't. That's a lie. But they're going to make up stuff like that. And, and that's going to be their campaign about just how cheap everything was when Donald Trump was president, because they got nothing else. And if you look at the macroeconomic trends, they look good. People are employed. People's purchasing power is, is improving. If you ask, there's polls that ask if you're better off now than you were four years ago, but they take out the, they take out the partisanship. Because if you make the question about your economic state, about election, about politics, people will get tribal. And so, yeah, if you're a Republican and did, you know, Joe Biden make the economy better. No, he didn't. But there's, I think it was Magellan did a series of questions. No politics inserted. So it's like, is your economic situation, has it improved since the pandemic? And it's like 60% said yes. So not to say that the economy is all peaches and roses for everybody and that it can't be improved and that we can't work on eco- economic equality and all these things that we need to do. But... It's hard for Republicans to make an economic case. So they're going to, based on facts, so they're going to be really, really trying to zone in on, on, on um, inflation. And what else do they got? Like they got, things are actually shockingly good right now 
And so there's not much for Republicans to run on. It's going to be a quandary for them. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know. I really think it's going to be interesting what these trials do. Be- can't because, even imagine, right? Yeah. I mean, televised, 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 televised. The Georgia and, one, not the other ones. Yeah, the but, one, but, but the Georgia one is is we'll, we'll take that. That's pretty significant. And then you get the whole array of the clowns. And you see the full expanse of the conspiracy. Uh, I mean, I think pe- a lot of people are going to watch. This is going to be like OJ or <laughs> or something else. People and, watch the January 6th commission hearings and people said, ah, people don't care. And that was before the 2022 election. It actually helped Democrats make that case that Republicans were a threat to our democracy. And this is bigger than that. Right. And then to, to the other point about what Jelani was writing in his piece, too big to convict. See, for a lot of people who are having struggles in life, there's accountability mm-hmm. across the board. You don't pay your bills, there's accountability. Trump doesn't pay his bills, no big deal. You commit a crime, or you have a loved one that commits a petty crime, accountability. Trump commits a crime, nothing happens. He I, brags I, about it. He brags about so, it. I can shoot somebody. In the middle of the street, I'm going to shoot somebody in the middle of the street and nothing happened. So I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult for people to watch that and then say, wait a minute, knowing if this was me as a black person or a Latino person or even just a regular everyday middle class to poor white person, I'm going to pay a price. But these people just do whatever they want to do and they don't have to pay a price. I, I think that's going to resonate and it's too early for people to know well, folks aren't interested in this. Folks aren't going to. Oh, it's going to be a big deal. Hey, and, and, and I don't think it's a, it's not it's not a I don't think it's a surprise or, or particularly shocking that of all those 18 or 19 defendants. I don't know why I can't remember the exact number. The only one that wasn't able to post bail and is still in prison is the guy who's in charge of blacks for Trump. I mean, even with his supporters, <laughs> the black community gets a short end of the stick. I mean, it's 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 almost. It's 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 comically cliche, and yet it's happening. Most it most certainly is. So, folks, we're we're gonna watch for that. Be on the lookout for that, and I'm sure you will too. But I I think it's too early for people to decide that the black community or that Latino electorate or the black electorate is 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 checked out. It is early, and the the Biden campaign is uh, they, they've got some time hopefully to try to get themselves together meanwhile the, the other big so this was a, a week or two, two ago this was speculation that i heard when i was in nashville now it has come to pass it is actually happening gloria johnson one of the tennessee three is running against marsha blackburn uh, i don't know y'all but that may be doable at, at least that's going to cause some damage and it may even impact some state races, but having seen what's going on in Tennessee, particularly with women voters, and women voters have not really been put to the test as they have been. Well, I shouldn't say women voters. The Dobbs decision has not been put to the test in Tennessee. So Tennessee, so Gloria represents that. She will be a woman. Women are at are the majority. White women, suburban colleges, pretty much unless you live in Nashville. 
in 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 what is becoming as downtown as big as New York. By the way, that's a whole nother show. Unless you live, it's it's called Nash Vegas now. By the way, yeah. The only thing they don't have yet is casino. Once Nashville gets casinos, it's a wrap. It's the it is and it is the capital now. I don't know if you know that, Marcos. Nashville is now officially the capital of bridal showers. Oh, bridal showers! It is a thing <laughs> to go. So, so I mean, we're talking literally suburban, <laughs> college-educated white women, well, all the way to college white. I mean, that is where white women go to have bridal showers. I don't know what how that happened. Or what it is, but you go to Nashville for and get Airbnbs for your bridal shower. That is the thing to do. She's running as a white woman in a state where where that white electorate has not been put to the test yet, and they are upset about what happened to the Covenant School shooting. Mm. I mean, they they I saw they stopped. This is a supermajority, and they still stopped the supermajority from passing a bill in this in this past stupid special session that would have allowed former police, former law enforcement, former military to open carry into any school they wanted to. They stopped that bill. They could not pass that bill because of the covenant mothers. So Gloria Johnson running and and Gloria is bad. I mean, she is heavy. I I know her. I mean, she is really, really good. So this this is going to be something. I don't know. If she'll win, I think she can come close. Because Marsha Blackburn did, did, have we established, now I know we, the term asshat was established <laughs> on Daily Coast. I don't, did, is Daily Coast also responsible for the term uh, batshit? I don't remember whether that. The very beginning, I, I don't think I would take credit for it, but it's okay. definitely been in our lexicon for a long time. I know asshat. That was a that was definitely Daily Coast original. That was coined specifically for Miss Rom- Mitt Romney. I remember that, and it stuck ass hat. But all right, I but, will. But that's I will, tell you, I will tell you this, Mark. That until January of twenty twenty one, Marcia Blackburn in civics polling had a favorable rating, pretty significant. She was like fifty forty favorable. Today she is forty three percent favorable, forty seven percent unfavorable, and it has happened. Let me see. Last July, that's Dobbs. So Dobbs has definitely had an impact. And I don't know what happened in April of this year, but she's been... She, it's, when was the shooting, the, the, the big one? Was it around April? Yeah, yeah, it was before Easter. So yeah, yeah. it actually tracks. That, that may have actually given her a hit. So she's steadily losing support right now. Now, 43, 47... Um, it's Tennessee. It's a tough state. You know this. You, you spend a lot of time there and you know it. But right now, Democrats don't have a lot of pickup opportunities. If they could make a state like Tennessee even competitive, that doesn't just mean good things for, for next cycle, for this, I mean, for this cycle, for next year's elections. But that's something to build on to, to bring back. Because Tennessee used to be a reliably Democratic state back when the Democrats were Dixiecrats. And so they were racist against black people, but they were economically liberal, right? Pro-union, pro... And now the racism sort of took over and has made it a very solidly Republican state. But there is that economic liberalism undercurrent, which I think is present almost everywhere, Mark. I mean, this is, this is, this is the power of racism, the power of the Republican Southern strategy to overcome that self-interest and, and they had a lot of material to work with, watching a lot of their jobs get shipped to Mexico and China and so on. So there's, it's a complex story for sure. 
but there's a lot to build on. And in states, this is why in states like Ohio and Missouri, they're trying to severely limit the impact of ballot initiatives because they know that if actually they have to vote on liberal policy, like, you know, expansion, Medicare expansion, people say yes. And it's not even close, right? So it's that Democratic Party brand. It's that racism. That's what we need to get by on. And so Tennessee is looking pretty fascinating as a, as as sort of a almost an like experiment whether guns and and Dobbs and abortion really could start turning the tide with people that have been voting Republican because of because of racism essentially and maybe in a state like that where you have these college educated suburban white people maybe it's just inertia everybody else is voting Republican your neighbors are voting Republican so yeah why, why not we'll vote Republican Biden's you know goofball he's meant but once we're starting to be impacted nobody likes to get impacted directly. And so once they're starting to see their rights infringe, their, their privacy rights, and they have to worry about their children going to school and get shot up. Right. Maybe. Maybe. So I'm excited about, about that race. I'm excited to see if, if we can make something out of it. And because uh, we don't have, our, I mean, our two pickup opportunities next year are Texas and Florida. And those are not good pickup opportunities. Mm. So we need as much, we need that map to evolve and shift and, and, be better because we get 52 seats in the Senate, Mark. That's it. Filibuster's gone. Put her, you know, DC is a state. I mean, if nothing else. I mean, that will happen. Puerto Rico really might be a I, I right. suspect Puerto Rico would be a state too. They'd have a ballot initiative. They get to decide for themselves. So I don't want to speak for Puerto Rico. But given the polling, given dynamics, I suspect Puerto Rico would be a state too. And then we yeah. got a different yeah. Senate. It'd still be skewed, still be skewed towards Republicans, but not as much as it is today. Right. So a lot, lot is uh, lot is at stake. No question. Good luck to Gloria Johnson. That's Thursday Coast. Uh, Marcos uh, will be traveling next week. We'll take next week off, but we'll be back the week after. Safe travels, buddy. Thanks as always. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, appreciate you. Love you. And uh, appreciate love you love your listeners, too, because we're all part of the same fight. So, DailyCoast.com, everybody. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Just fresh from Labor Day, and if we can't talk about the jobs report during the Labor Day period, when else can we talk about it? What better time? So it was big news for the jobs report to come out on Friday, give everybody some, some, something to talk about on last Labor Day Monday and here to talk us through it, as always, is the chief economist of the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, centeronbudget.org, our dear friend Chad Stone. Chad, how are you, buddy? Staying cool in the heat? I'm well. I'm staying cool in the air conditioning. Yep. That's yep. good. How about you? I'm okay. I'm, I'm fine. Trying to do the same, yep. as a matter of fact. As I've said before, folks, Chad, the best thing about Chad being with us, in addition to all the information he provides, he makes me look or seem intelligent, especially with my historic lack of knowledge and awareness of economics. I had a friend call me over the weekend, Chad. Mark, I need you to explain something to me. I said, what's that? 187,000 jobs, but unemployment went up. That doesn't make any sense. And they went straight conspiratorial with it. That's a conspiracy. <laughs> and, and so I was able to explain to them, oh, let me tell you why that is. It is because 
more people are entering the labor force, correct? And, and did so obviously during the month of August. That they, they saw job opportunities. They went into the labor force. The labor force is the number of people who have a job and are, or are actively looking for a job. So lots of people came in actively looking for a job. Now, you don't find it immediately. Sometimes you're, you're not sure what job you want to take, so you look around. That's smart, but you're officially unemployed while you're doing that. Now, we always want to be aware. So it's 187,000 folks, but we always want to be aware of whatever other information is out there especially when it comes to uh, revisions. And we had some revisions down June 80,000 revi revised down by 80,000, July 30,000 revised down. Let me ask you this, is, is, there, is there a threshold in a revision, especially a down revision, that raises alarm? Like 80,000 in June, is that considered a lot? Yeah, it has to be viewed in context, and the the, the context. Yeah, you, one month of one month of data is never enough on its own to explain things. You want to look at more at trends, and so if you look at the the three months June June July and August together, it was an average of one hundred and fifty thousand jobs a month created over that period. So that's taking the revisions into account. Now, one hundred fifty thousand jobs is slower than the pace we've been seeing through a lot of the expansion, but, but a reason for that is that we're really close to full employment. And uh, the number of jobs that it takes to just keep up with the growth in the working age population is only 70,000 or something like that. So we're still creating jobs at a decent pace. It's just that the, the data came in funny this time because of those big revisions, but uh, smoothing it out, looking over the three months period, we're, we're still in good shape. And averaging, and this is really the, the big number, the job creation this year has averaged actually 236,000 jobs per month to date, correct? That's right. That's right. And that's at a lower pace than last year and a lower pace than the year before that. But those were years when we were still climbing out from the uh, from pandemic for, for some of that period. And so we, there was lots of job creation by just by people coming back to jobs. But now now we're, we're in a, um, a healthy state. But what the Fed, the Fed wants, wants the job creation to slow, not to create a huge amount of unemployment. The, the, the soft landing is one in which we get inflation down but, and employment is growing in line to keep pace with the people looking for work. It's not like there's a lot of layoffs, but, but it is a high employment economy uh, grows more slowly because there's, there's more of a ceiling. on Right. So that means... We're, we're in a high employment economy and that's good. Yeah, that means people are getting jobs. Employment continued to trend up from the... This is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Employment continued to trend up in healthcare, leisure, and hospitality, social assistance, and construction. Employment in transportation and warehousing declined. I'll come back to that. Employment in leisure and hospitality continued to trend up. 40,000 plus leisure and hospitality jobs in August. The industry had gained an average of 61,000 jobs per month over the prior 12 months, but it's still below its pre pandemic February 2020 level by 290,000 or 1.7 percent. 
we've talked about that in, in the recent past, that industry, it's coming back or it's the slow pace with which it has come back. It's good to see it's trending up, but it, it, you wonder, this is the summer. August, this was just August, so this is, the summer's over. That's when people travel, hence leisure and hospitality. Do we have any more information on why, even though it's up and that's good, why it's still not reached its pre-pandemic level? Is it well, just that people just aren't quite fully back yet? Yeah, we have to figure out what back means because the industry has changed um, considerably since the uh, pandemic, presumably. Now, remember, we were down over a million jobs in leisure and hospitality in, in the depths of the recession uh, and back in April of 2020, more than a million jobs. And we and as the first part of that quote from the Bureau of Labor Statistics said, one of the leading job-creating industries was leisure and hospitality. So they're creating jobs in their comeback, but as you're stressing, it's not back to the level that it was in February 2020. But it's been growing at a decent pace for some employment in leisure and hospitality has been growing at a decent pace for, for quite a while now. But it had but it's big hole that it's climbing out of. And as I said, I'm not we're not sure about what the structure of the industry is. Our restaurants um, are there, they're still waiting to open. The ones that some of some have closed and are just not there. Travel's back, so hospitality is up. Um, and, and so it's in terms of creating jobs, it's good. In terms of, of getting back to where we were, we're not there yet. And and back to those looking for a job, there's also the labor force participation rate. For those 16 years and, and older, it rolls by two-tenths of a percentage point for the month of August. And so, again, that's a good thing. People are coming back to work. The prime age, the 25 to 54, as you always remind us, was back up to 83.5%, five-tenths of a percentage point above its February 2020 rate. So... Labor force participation is high for the tw- for the twenty five to fifty four the prime age population. Yeah, it's it's it, it's great. It's it's growing still, um, and it's it's not just it's, there's nothing magical about the twenty twenty um, peak uh, February twenty twenty peak, but it's really good that the twenty five to fifty four population is uh, labor force participation rate, and that, that was boosted, of course, by all those all those people coming into the labor force who are currently unemployed, but will be getting jobs. So there's a link between the, the growth in the size of the labor force and the labor force participation rate. So all of this is good news. And obviously we know, as always, there is going to be a difference when it comes to black unemployment, Latino or Hispanic unemployment or employment. We still have that difference. It is not double, close. Normally black unemployment is double that of white as it was in February 2020 before the pandemic. And it all, was exactly that before the pandemic. It was yeah. precisely. It was 3% white unemployment, 6% black unemployment in February 2020. Today, August 2023. white, 5.3% black. 
And and so actually, that has gone down since February 2020. Yeah, yeah. The white unemployment rate went up, and the black unemployment rate went down since February. Black, black unemployment rate has bounced. It. This is a statistical sam sample. It bounces around. I think it was April when the black unemployment rate was even lower than this 5.3 percent, which was an historic low, and then it then it went up again, and we got worried as it is it starting to 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 shoot higher. And then it then it leveled off and started to come down again, and this is this is pretty low. It's it's a high unemployment rate relative to the white unemployment rate, um, but it's um, it, historically it's it's good. Maybe again statistical, you have to average over the period, but they would like to see that that the labor market is so tight still that that's good for black unemployment. They had the the and yeah, you have to have the best of times to get really low. Unemployment rate, the black unemployment rate. Well, and just FYI, folks, it's interesting. If you compare February 2020, white, black, Hispanic, and Asian unemployment to August 2023, uh, for all the black unemployment rate is the only groups whose is lower right. August yeah. 2023 than February 2020. The white unemployment rate. August 2023 is higher than February 2020, and so is the Hispanic and Asian. Interestingly, and not necessarily by a whole lot, but it's still the case. It, to be honest with you, the, the one that stands out the most, there's a four-tenths of a percentage point difference in the white unemployment rate, August 2023 and February 2020. There's a five-tenths of a percentage point difference higher in the Hispanic unemployment rate, August 2023, February 2020. But if you look at the Asian unemployment rate, it, it, it's even larger seemingly because it is 3.1 August 2023, 2.6 in February 2020. Not sure what's going on there. So again, we have to have context and see where jobs are and where people are being hired, where people are, I guess, looking for yeah, jobs. And the same thing about the, the, the bouncing around a little bit statistics right. for statistical reasons. There's a chart in the tweet thread that shows the whole time series for each of those rates. And, and it, it illustrates dramatically that in the depths of the recession, black and Hispanic unemployment rates were really high. They went, First to lose your job, last to get hired, and they came down somewhat more slowly. But now the the black unemployment rate is really down substantially. Yeah, the yeah. Black, white, and Asian, and Hispanic are all pretty close to where they were back in with in in at the at the last peak, with the distinctions that you talked about. Yeah. yeah, and that's the good news in all of this. Absolutely. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Chad Stone, folks, Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. Also follow him on Twitter. See his tweet thread, Chad CBP, Chad CBPP. For Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, also go to centeronbudget.org. Chad, thanks as always. Happy September. Happy September to you, and you're a good student. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to hear that. I wish I could have heard that. I wish that was the case 40 years ago. 
Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.